tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Robin Hood Rabbi, Missing In-Laws, to Madame with Love, and Deadly Dumpster. Co-host Crystal. And I am your other co-host, Robert, and this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. And um we we, we definitely got got it down right that time. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no need to give away the magic of audio recording and editing. Robbie, yes. you know, I was thinking about something here and and I was thinking maybe we should take the uh, listeners behind the scenes a little bit. Okay. And uh, what I had in mind is like maybe you could describe your uh, your podcast recording setup. Like what's in your immediate vicinity? What can you see? How are you sitting? Okay. You know, what's your deal? Um, I am seated in a black, uh, you know, leather type office chair that you find in mm. offices everywhere. I I am seated in front of a, a desk. Um, it's it's not quite the kind of desk I I mean would have wanted. I mean it's it's got this I don't know not it's doesn't it's not like a really wood looking like surface. It's kind of like um, a pale wood or something. Um, there's not really I mean there uh, there's a, a little platform of the desk on the left that my lamp sits on. There is a empty box that uh, for when I got the Taco Bell nacho fries box on the way home. Mm-hmm. And my laptop sits in front of me as well as my microphone, which I, mm-hmm. you know, Often, though not necessarily always, have plugged into my laptop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, to my right are the bookcases that I'm pressed up against. So, mm-hmm. all in all, it's uh, a satisfactory podcasting setup. I take it you may not be entirely satisfied with your own. I am, I mean, I'm having a lot of house problems in general lately. And I, I mean, cry, cry everybody a river that I live in a, a, a single, a single family home in Los Angeles, which otherwise has ample space. But the problem in general is that the closet and storage situation is subpar um to i would say even my last one bedroom apartment i feel like i had better storage in general oh wow in my last apartment than this house but so my podcast so keeping that in mind it's not a very large house and you know as anyone who has ever uh had a podcast before <laughs> or had to record anything knows that when you go to record something you want it to be in sort of a uh closed off room and if you're me, um, and the minute you walk in the door from work, you are bombarded by your pets. And I'm sure everybody knows how this, with ch- small children, knows how this goes, too. <laughs> like, it's just a barrage. So I need a little place where I can qu- close the door. Mm-hmm. Now, 
This narrows it down to exactly three rooms in my house where I could possibly record a podcast. The master bedroom, not ideal. No. Uh, the office area that my husband occupies, ideal, but full of stuff. There's nowhere to put my computer desk or my computer. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the guest room. So that's where I've landed. I've been here probably recording now for over two years, I want to say. And I'm jammed in a corner with a little desk and my iMac between the end of the guest bed, which is a queen size, yeah, and the wall. Right. And so that gives me, I want to say, about a foot and a half to squeeze a chair in. And what it forces me to do is be in a very hard chair, because I can't fit an office chair in here. There's no room. So I'm using like a little wood chair from Ikea, and it's hard as fuck. Um, uh, my yeah. back hurts all the time and my butt hurts by the time we're done podcasting. I do it so stiff, but this is like the only place I have in this entire house where I can like shut the door and be quiet is this little corner. And I'm sitting in this uncomfortable ass chair and I'm just getting mad all the time. I should take, like, I should take a picture of this setup and put it on our Twitter because people are like, Oh my God, you really are jammed in a corner like this. <laughs> I, this shit sucks. I I will I will attest to that because I have slept in that guest bedroom. Yeah, you've been in the guest room. Well, as I imagine, like half of our listeners, because most we know most of them, have been in my guest room. <laughs> like, it's it's just. And the other thing is, like, my mic arm is so jury rigged to this desk. It involves a piece of plywood and a clamp. Uh, so the mic arm is cl- is clamped with its own device to the plywood uh but because the desk i'm using is so thick that the mic arm clamp would not widen that much and be stable to record with that i've we've modified it now where the mic arm is clipped to the plywood and the plywood is clamped to the desk with like a wood shop clamp okay um so i mean just this whole fucking thing is just i don't yeah. I, I don't know why today of all days i'm just like no i've had it yeah um the the uh only uh sort of redeeming quality of this whole situation hold on one second keep recording i'm reaching for something is i do have this sign that i bought and i know the proceeds went to charity it's one of these yard signs. I'm sure you guys have seen it where it says in this house, we believe science is real, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. That bullshit. You know what I'm talking about? I've, I've it's a se- bunch of different like font sizes and colors usually. Uh, it may shock you, but I actually had had seen a couple of those signs in, in wow. Dayton, Nevada. Yeah. Really? Okay. Well, they're like just standard issue here in LA and they're really annoying. The other thing is if you're some uh, like, listen, I also believe science is real and women have a right to choose what to do with their own body and like climate change is real. Like I am in general alignment with anybody who has these yard signs out in front of the yard or their house. The problem is when I walk by them, I just feel like you're smug and you don't tip well. Those are two things I assume (laughs) about you. I feel like you're a shitty tipper. Like I don't have any evidence to back that up. That's just how I feel. But anyway, so I have one of these yard signs. It's it sits behind uh, the computer that I talk into to make this podcast. So I so I know mentally where I need to be mm-hmm. when we talk about unsolved mysteries. But my sign says this. So just imagine it's that sign. It's, it says in this house we believe, and then there's 
you know, different colors and fonts and stuff. Okay. Mine, mine says, in this house, we believe Bigfoot is real. I'm going to kiss him. He will be my lover. I will be the little spoon. Me and Bigfoot will fuck, and you can't stop us. Wow. All right. That's so uh, that's where, that's just so I remember what we're here to do. That's the redeeming quality of my little podcast corner. Big Bigfoot and uh, crass talk. I, I can't think of a two better <laughs> ways to sum up our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, I should take it. I got to take a picture for the people so they know. I feel like I had at some point put a picture up, sort of the situation. Um, but people can really see how how jammed I. And, you know, I could take. I'm facing a mirror, which is another. I feel part like of I've it. seen this picture actually. But I'm gonna do it again. Okay. Listen. Here we go. So people, I'm shooting into a mirror. So people can see how crammed I am in the damn corner here. Wait. Uh, so anyway, Robbie, do you have anything? Um, you mean about ideas about how you cannot be uncomfortable? No, I mean, just in your life that you want to tell the people. Oh, you know, I feel like talking about it right now before tomorrow morning I don't know. Mm, okay, we'll, you don't we'll want to jinx the we'll, whole situation. We'll we'll see how the coin lands and what I decide mm-hmm. to do from there. Hey, uh, speaking of coins, because <laughs> <laughs> coins are money, and coins are money, and uh, in Canada they have one dollar and two dollar coins that they call loonies and toonies. <laughs> That's nice. And also in this episode of Unsolved Mysteries, season five, no, season six, episode five, the we start in Canada talking about money. All right. So I guess this guy's a rabbi, too. I didn't pick that up when I was watching the segment. I just picked up that. Oh, Joseph. Hmm. Oh no! I well, I was just gonna say I didn't pick up that he was a, an actual rabbi. I just thought he was. Well, that's what that's what the wiki says, but I don't remember them saying that in the segment. Yeah, I just thought he was a member of the congregation. All right, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay, so, uh, anyway, Montreal, Canada, to be specific. Uh, Joseph Proshinovsky is a uh, member of the Hasidic uh, Judaism. He's Hasidic. Anyway, you guys can figure out what that is. Um, and the reason that Robbie did not want to talk about this is because he didn't want to accidentally step in it. So apparently I'm safe (laughs) to talk about, even though I'm also not Jewish. Uh, I guess he entrusted me more to to not step in it (laughs) or he's throwing me in front of the train. I don't really know what's going on. Okay. Uh, So, <laughs> Continue. Um, okay, so here's the deal. In 1985, Prushanowski uh, opened a bank, and he hired this other guy, Alan Feingold, not a Hasidic Jew, but seems to be part of like the, um, you know, like Reform Church. Anyway, yeah. dude wears a yarmulke, but he doesn't do the full hat with the curls and the beard and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Just to be clear. Um, and so uh, Joseph hires Alan, 
and Alan does a little bit of searching because he, uh, in trying to do the best thing for his boss, I guess, he suggests that they, uh, you know, do handle all their money dealings through a small Caribbean island called Anguilla, um, which is known for its lenient banking laws. I'm, I've heard of Antigua, but I've never heard of Anguilla. Are are they are are these islands? Are they all part of the Bahamas? Uh, like like, I I don't think I've ever ha- heard of Anguilla myself. I haven't. I don't know. Isn't that isn't that what they they say in the the um when they sing uh um uh, uh, a song during uh, bar mitzvahs and the the no Anguilla, that's that's Hava Nagila, oh. not Anguilla, <laughs> but very close. Okay. Okay. Uh, so Prushanowski tells Alan or Christopher, not why am I trying to call him Christopher? What the fuck? <laughs> Can you imagine a rabbi named Christopher? That's insane. What I just said. His friends Jesus. just call him Chris. <laughs> Joseph Prushanowski and his his employee Alan. Feingold. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> a rabbi named Chris. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, they set up this, well, Alan very unwittingly, because Prushanowski gives Alan these names saying these are the owners of the bank and here's, you know, there's some signature stamps and all. Makes it look very official, but Alan is the unwitting uh, accomplice in a massive fraud scheme. And we find out very early in the segment that uh, Joseph Prushanowski, before he went on the run, they think that he was responsible for defrauding banks all over the world to the tune of $190 million, which is, that's more than a Medford hustle. You know what I'm saying? This, yeah, this, this big money. Holy crap. That, that's a lot of cash. Yup. A lot of a lot uh, of loonies and uh, what, what that's it? a lot of loonies and toonies. And toonies, yeah. Um. So, uh. Yeah. Anyway. So, you know, I'm not really sure how this whole shuffling about the money went, but basically, what would happen is Joseph set up this fake bank to to move money out of other real banks, and um. I think I think he was it was like writing bad checks and then he would like it was by virtue of like with this fake bank, he could issue cashier's checks, which. Right. Essentially, like when you when you have a cashier's check, it's treated as good as cash. Um, Right. That's well, that is true to this day. Yeah. Uh, Um, Yeah. So he was he was issuing fake cashier's checks, basically. That's what was happening. I, you know, with all of these fraud segments, as well as any fraud anywhere, I really don't know how they work. I don't don't understand (laughs) how. I'm always slightly confused by them. I'm confused by just like conventional and legal means of doing things with money, much less fraud. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I can't even get that creative. Right. Well, I think I think what it is is like he, he takes these cashier's checks from his mm-hmm. fictional bank and he takes uh-huh. them to an actual bank. He's like, hey, I want to set up an account and I'm going to mm-hmm. put in, you know, 
two million dollars uh and i have a mm-hmm. cashier's check for it and we're like oh well you know a cashier's check yeah absolutely uh but then i guess even with a sum that large there even though it's a cashier's check you're like it's just it's gonna we're gonna have to wait about 14 days for us to mm-hmm. and so from they have this I love I love the reenactment of Joseph like going into the bank and talking with one of the bank people who are like at the desk and not behind the counter. Mm-hmm. And the bank person is like, well, uh, we're not quite at 14 days yet. If if you could come back in a few days and mm-hmm. we can't I can't you can't hear what Joseph is saying because uh, Robert Stack's narration or, or one of the witnesses na- narration picks in. But like he starts standing up from the, the desk and I kind of have the feeling he said something like, well, maybe I should take my business somewhere else. And he's, or, or, or I don't know, maybe they kind of if they kind of suggested that, you know, he was using the, the man of God angle. And uh, mm. so maybe he was saying something like, well, those poor orf- orphans at the orphanage uh, there, I guess they're just going to have to go a- another week without food. <laughs> and mm-hmm. the, the bank man is like, oh, well, just, you know, in the f- we'll 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 go ahead and give you the seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars now. And, but in the future, just, you know, try to give us 14 days, please. <laughs> presumably he was just doing this over and over again yeah just that at one bank after another um yeah i guess i so, guess when you have a, a mm-hmm. limitless supply of checks from your cashier's checks from your fake bank uh the sky's the limit yeah um so but finally in march of 1987 the uh, law catches up with Joseph Prushanowski and uh, Alan Feingold. And um, the, f- the first indication Alan gets that something amiss is going on. Because remember, he thinks he's just doing like accounting work for a bank in Anguilla. Yeah. That's what Alan thinks he's doing. Um, so a Japanese company ends up filing lawsuit against Prushnowski and names Alan in the as a uh, defendant in the lawsuit as well. And this is when Alan finds out, uh oh, something might be going on here. <laughs> and finally, the Royal the Royal Canadian Mounted Police uh, come and they do a reenactment of this, and they were like, they decide to the police decide to believe Alan though, that Alan was just an unwitting part and Alan dis- and cooperates fully. Yeah. So, uh, he says, you know, whatever you need to know, whatever books you need to see, I got you. I'm like, I don't want to get in trouble here. Yeah. You know, um, y- yeah. Like, and I love that the, the, cause this was near Montreal, right? So the, they give the, mm-hmm. the police, uh, reenactors who speak French accents, <laughs> <laughs> yes yes Very they fun. did so we have uh you know alan feingold who's presumably of yiddish or eastern european descent has his own thing going on and then we have the french cops it it's it's and it's a real it feels like a real i don't know like a real movie moment alan feingold like the reenactor plays him in such a way where like you know, you, your mention of like you know the police, they they believe him. 
like he has this like haplessness to him uh where you know the the, the police come in the 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 mounty mount mount royal canadian mounted police come in and he's just like yeah here here's here here is everything like like he just like is so absolutely mm-hmm. forthcoming that they're like mm-hmm. i'm sure that the 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 police were like, well, no one who is guilty would knowingly so stupidly like just be an open book like this. So, right. so he has to be innocent. You know, there's an interesting aside before this part where Robert Stack, with the help of a Canadian reporter, tried to teach us about Hasidic Judaism. <laughs> yes. And there's some reenactments of like men going and doing prayer and mm-hmm. all of this stuff. I, you know, sure, is Joseph's faith and culture very important to him? I'm certain that it is. Uh, the the th- interesting part of this, though, is that the presumption is always that somebody who's this devout could not be a cheater. So therefore, it is shocking. <laughs> and I. I don't know. Maybe people still feel that way. I mean, I'm so cynical as to always assume the opposite. Right. 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 Anyway, but uh, so Joseph, he's he's driven out of Canada and he he has something like 12 kids or something nuts like that. He takes 10 of his kids and leaves um, his uh, oldest kids behind in Canada. I don't know what they were doing up there. You know, a lot but, of uh, the people that appear in this show would have viewed the police catching on to them and having to abandon their entire family as a tragedy. But mm-hmm. I kind of almost I don't know why I have the sense that jo- in a way, Joseph was kind of like, well, that's a relief. I can just ditch the whole <laughs> ball and chain <laughs> and 12 kids. And I got well, he t- he does end up taking 10 of his kids and his wife with him to the United States when he flees. So it's his oldest two kids that he leaves behind, I think. Oh, I didn't even catch so, that part. I thought I thought he yeah. was just, you know, it's like, well, I guess I'm free to just go somewhere else in the world with, you know, nine digits worth of money. <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't. He didn't do that. And so I yeah. think but I think that's important. He takes his family with him. He leaves his oldest to hold down the hold down the fort in Canada. I'm not really sure why he left, or maybe they were too old to immigrate. Oh, you know that could I'm be it. Yeah, like like they would like he could if he immigrated, kids under whatever age mm-hmm. could come with them, but uh, old, anyone older would have to go through their own sort of process. Right. I assume. Um, so Joseph goes to the United States and he changes his name to Joseph Weiss. Um, he keeps scamming though. He's scamming in New York. New York got a whole new set of banks. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he even between 1990 and 1992. So this goes on between, I believe, 1985 and 92. So seven years and $190 million. Very impressive. He, uh, he does some more scamming in Sweden, Denmark, the Netherlands, England, and Australia. Uh, Unsolved Mysteries does a little map montage <laughs> of how much money they think Joseph was able to scam out of each country. The, they have a globe of the planet mm-hmm. Earth that is rotating and they highlight 
each individual country. The globe's roughly rotating at the same speed that I mean, I, I, you, I'm sure you, you went in a Fleshman planetarium on more than one occasion, right? Mm, no? Sure. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, you remember the uh, they had a uh, you know um, a sphere like a a model of the planet Earth that slowly rotated in the middle of their um, little small museum section. Uh, mm-hmm. It's rotating at roughly the speed of that model. But this this was just with money that this dude scammed. <laughs> money, like like man, and just like the fact that each individual country they cite sums of money that I will never see. Yeah, <laughs> is impressive. Uh, so Joseph's deal was this: sometimes he would even negotiate to give some of the money back to the banks because he would he knew that. The banks wanted their money back. They didn't necessarily want to get the police involved. Yeah. The bottom line is get the money back. Um, But uh, he finally ran out of luck and he had uh, a couple of warrants issued, uh, both in Canada and the United States. Um, So the twist in all of this is that Joseph was apparently not doing this to enrich himself. In fact, he lived very simply with his wife and children. But what he did do is he gave the money to Jewish charities and synagogues, and he also gave it as seed money for people in the Hasidic community to start their own businesses. Um, So he was, you know, kind of a Robin Hood figure. Right. Well, the Unsolved Mystery says that uh, someone they're talking with says that he probably saw himself that way. And I mean, I... (laughs) can't say that what he did was right but at the same time it kind of you know after learning that bit of detail i'm like well Mm -hmm. it makes it difficult for me to hate him in the same way that like i hate the people responsible for the various medford hustles Mm -hmm. uh because i mean they were like those people were taking money from like people who could not afford to part with it and then then mm-hmm. spending it on baseball cards, <laughs> whereas you know he's like right. Joseph is taking it from huge multinational institutions and you know giving it to, on a much to to recipients who are on a much more modest uh, playing field. Um, you know it, it's uh, uh, I mean, again it's not right, but uh, I don't have quite as the visceral hatred for him as I would for many of the other fraud people that we've had on the show before. You know, well, he's not the hero that we deserve, but he's the one that they needed. (laughs) Yes. Yes. You know, it's funny. You mentioned the little brief background they gave on, uh, uh, you know, uh, Judaism and whatnot. (laughs) Hasidic. Hasidic. Yeah. And they have this, um, you know, they have that little reenactment of the guys, uh, uh, you know, uh, reading the Torah and and there's this assembly of them and the guy reenactor plays Joe Joseph's amongst them. And I don't know if you caught it like, you know, this is that little th- snippet at near the beginning. Where, uh, um, but like they're talking about like, you know, the, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but it, the, uh, the unsolved mysteries make some comment like, but it turns out that someone wasn't quite what he seemed. And like the guy reenactor playing Joseph 
when when that's like said like the reenact they have like it's just it's it's only a you know fraction of a second but like the reenactor sort of like his eyes dart to the right like and in the, much the same way that you would like expect if like this you're watching some comedy movie where someone had dressed up as uh as mm-hmm. uh, uh, to, to to look acidic and was trying to blend in and was like sure hope no like one was, recognizes f- figures out i'm not really he's supposed to be here <laughs> yeah. like he, like he was the saint or something uh well i mean not the, do the, you remember that movie with val kilmer i, I know, <laughs> yeah know and his disguises yeah i i I know that yeah. movie very very well. Do you do you want to do a podcast about the scene at some point? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe. Yeah, I um, well, like that, but except that, like his character in that film was smooth and confident, whereas mm-hmm. like I had the like the eye sort of, you know, glance that I saw in this was more of a unsure, like, or or maybe a slight like. Oh boy, I, I'm really in it now. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, he was really in it because Prushinowski was eventually captured in Israel in 1998. And then he was convicted of seven fraud charges in Jerusalem and sentenced to seven years in prison. Um, a year for every charge, I guess. Uh, and there's still outstanding warrants from him in the United States. So yep. he can't come back here, I guess. But he stayed scamming, you know? He did. I was about to say kudos to Joseph, but I, I, I mean, I want to. I don't know. Well, I think I don't know. This guy kind of rules, though. You know what I mean? God, yeah. I, I'm. He is. He's really cool. He's much cooler than I'll ever be. Like, yeah, I mean, it's also like that's why probably no one in the U.S. like snitched on him. Do you know what I'm saying? Because they're like, well, you know, there's some things I can look the other way on. Yeah, I, I, I mean, Feingold definitely snitched on him, but. Well, that was just to save his own butt. So. Right, right. He was in, yeah, he was in, in serious uh, jeopardy. Yeah, I, um, I, <laughs> I forgot what I was going to Notable mention s- to, was it, I'm not sure if it was a cop or if it was Feingold himself. I don't remember who said it, but who said, you know what? Us Jews have enough of a reputation that we have to deal with here. And then this guy goes out here and does this. Thanks a lot for nothing, pal. Like it was real. Like, <laughs> Yeah. You know, you, you don't like it when, when someone misrepresents the team, right? It, it's, it's an embarrassment. Uh, hey, you know what? I wouldn't be embarrassed of this guy. No, no. I mean, cool. I, yes, I, I cool. that's the thing. He's, he's like, He's way cooler than I'll than I'll ever be. What I find so amazing is like, think about this. He stole money from people, and then like, he then like used a portion of that money to like get them to not, <laughs> not, not pursue him <laughs> over criminal charges. Can you imagine that? Mm-hmm. Like that is that is that is uh, that's that takes some real. Um, uh chutzpah i think chutzpah is the word you're looking for yes that's right yeah (laughs) Uh. um robbie on that note do you want to talk about something ultra depressing in the middle of oklahoma (laughs) this next segment is basically the uh induces feelings that are the exact inverse of (laughs) 
of what uh, our our segment with Joseph. Uh, it's basically we got three uh, people who disappeared um, from the parking lot of a quote unquote department store. But if you're watching the show, you see an old style Walmart. Uh, I wonder if this like when the segment aired, they figured, well, most people don't know what a Walmart is, so we'll just call it a department store. Yeah, that that was interesting to me because it was very clearly a Walmart. And then one of the people they interview refers to the Walmart. Yeah. But like, yeah, I mean, I think we all have to remember at that time in the early 90s, Walmart was not as ubiquitous as it is now, for sure. Right. I mean, you, you would be probably be thinking Kmart, right? I would be thinking Sears. See or Sears, yeah. You know, maybe a little Montgomery Ward action. Montgomery Ward, yeah. If you all remember that one. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I know Montgomery Ward. There's like there's two Kmart's, two or three Kmart's left, and I think they're mostly in New Jersey now. I don't think I don't think they're gonna be around for much longer. So, I work very like one block away like walking distance from an abandoned kmart in north hollywood in like, north hollywood oh okay not to dox myself but if you see me out there i'm on break leave me alone <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh um anyway this segment starts out with a really neat reenactment because one of the hmm. three people disappeared um Actually, Crystal, can you hear any sort of sound coming from... Well, I guess you wouldn't hear what... Sorry, my cat is in my closet, and he, like... Oh. He he just, you know, he just finished, you know... Not not to rub it in your face how little closets, you know, storage space uh-huh. you have. I don't actually use my closet as a closet. It's just a small Great. mini room that I put the cat box, uh, litter mm-hmm. box in. Great. And, and, yeah. Glad you have all that room yeah <laughs> and so, that you don't even need your clothes closet right right yeah the so the cat you know one of the cats when he when he goes in there and finishes it does it, do, doing his business he sort of um wipes his paw on the wall hmm. anyway so there's your for no all, i couldn't hear the cat please continue <laughs> yeah for all our cat lovers out there that's uh, uh. a little bit of uh looking into the world of robbie's cat world anyway so wendy one of the individuals who disappeared she already had a daughter named cynthia and they we we have this fun little reenactment where she's working at an ice cream store you know she's she's putting some soft serve into a cone right and she walks over and this guy is like spraying you know uh whipped cream on top of uh, another cone with ice cream in it and she just walks up like walks over and takes it out of his hand at, because like i guess the suggestion is he didn't know what the hell he was doing <laughs> and so she takes the, the can out of his hand and she she starts putting the whipped cream on and you're like oh yeah okay now now that's how you make a sundae and you know they show her you know she, uh, but then it's kind of weird because then she doesn't put the whipped cream in the other cup that she was just filling. Instead, she reaches in and uh, the little chocolate dip pulls pulls some and puts it onto 
the cone without the whipped cream. I think that's a continuity error on Unsolved Mysteries part, which is just so glaring that in this segment about a disappearance and as we will eventually learn murder, they did not get their ice cream continuity right. Ice cream continuity. <laughs> um, Mary, uh, Wendy, she meets uh, so her, her co-worker that couldn't spray spray whipped cream out of a can properly. She decides to marry, uh, eventually marry him. Uh, they have a son named Jonathan, but she, she gets diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, she falls into a coma, and then it's like, yeah, you're in coma. So, uh, the guy that she had Jonathan with, what was his name? Chad. Yeah. Uh, Chad, you know, he has the custody, main custody of the kid. Uh, can we talk about Chad's disgusting little mustache? Because <laughs> he's a disgusting little man. He looks. He looks. He does look very disgusting. Let's. Let's talk about how disgusting he looks. Yeah, no, fuck this guy. Um, yeah, it was about at this point of the episode, I realized that this was another one of those episodes like the Anastasia one that I had watched more recently and not just for the podcast, like within the last four or five years. Okay. I had actually rewatched this one and uh, I started to like remember how it ends mm-hmm. this segment. And I was like, oh, fuck this guy. Yeah. immediately yeah also wait I mean, please continue so wendy f- falls into a coma she has multiple sclerosis right and we get reenactments yeah. of her going through rehabilitative uh, therapy mm-hmm. and chad's like hey you know maybe it's best i figured it'd be just best if i you know we just divorced yeah. <laughs> real you know it's real supportive supportive guy um then well can i just say some shit right now oh shit Uh, um yeah i mean i realize that probably when you're that young you don't expect to be dealing with and a newlywed you don't expect to be dealing with that ill that kind of level of like illness yeah and disability that early on um how this gets weaponized against Wendy though by her in-laws is horrific. And yeah. Like fuck this guy, fuck his mom, fuck his grandma. <laughs> fuck that entire trashy ass family. We'll get to why later, but just just on that alone, mm-hmm. just on that alone, how that gets weaponized against Wendy as saying that she can't be like uh, and she already has one other kid, remember? Yeah. So like Chad's reasoning was that like he was just gonna t- he was just like I don't need to care for two children the Cynthia girl and like um my own son so I'm just gonna take my son and like exit the situation and I honestly kind of think like that's sort of refreshing that he would say that right to be that truthful to be open you know? and honest yeah yeah but on the other hand he's a disgusting little man with a disgusting little mustache <laughs> and I don't even know. I don't even know like how Wendy got wrapped up with this fool because she, because very shortly after uh, and during her recovery process, she meets somebody else, right? Yeah. She meets a guy named Leon camp. And uh, unfortunately in this, this, this family feud type thing that's happening. Um, Cause like for, 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 
Wendy's account, like Leon was just like the sort of, you know, bedrock supportive person she needed. Now, Mm -hmm. um, Chad and his family claimed that uh, uh, Leon was like uh, molesting Jonathan or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I mean, I I had the feeling was just you know BS because I was already suspicious mm-hmm. of Chad, um, mm-hmm. uh, and I figured like, oh well, you know they're just you know that's just like a a, a quick easy way to like make it a, a, a destructive accusation or or, or whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, granted, it's unfortunate that Leon had. <laughs> A mustache that <laughs> it's kind of the, the sort of standard mustache that you 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 cast on characters that you. <laughs> yeah, he has kind of a pedo stash, but I. But I think that's. I just... agree. I I feel like Leon was. They were just throwing. They're just trying to levy shit at Leon and uh, Wendy to keep Jonathan away from them. Right. You know, and of course it didn't hold up with the cops or in court. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nothing came of it. And considering what we learn later on or, you know, it it makes one inclined to be like, yeah, it was almost certainly bullshit Mm -hmm. (laughs) because anyway, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, Yeah. So, you know, the uh, Chad and his disgusting family, they're always coming up with like, excuses or reasons to like not let wendy see jonathan uh we learn that they they change numbers they change addresses they move they get unlisted numbers um you know just sort of like effing around with 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 her uh and then we get a reenactment of Wendy out of the blue receiving some call from Chad who's like, Hey, guess what? You can see Jonathan today. And I feel like the the reenactress who's playing Wendy, like she really gives like the yeah. performance it it conveys someone who's just like so delighted to like see their kid that they're not like there's there's no not only no suspicion, but no like you know like why why the hell are you you know just now or whatever where is this coming from just no susp- just just like oh i get to see my kid like like just profound gratitude uh cuz cuz you love your kid and you want to see them um and then we get a very an account of just a what, what for to me was at times a kind of confusing <laughs> journey mm-hmm. uh so yeah obvious uh obviously leon was a little suspicious so in addition to wendy and her daughter cynthia going on the trip he was kind of like i guess he said to his sister uh renee like hey can you mm-hmm. can you go with her and you know just make sure make sure you know everything's on the up and up and then we get sort of get a a series of events like they they arrive at some what diner or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, they give Leon a call. Uh, let him know that they're waiting on Chad. Uh, Chad eventually shows up with Jonathan, uh, and of course Chad gives the propaganda line that like, 
yeah, you know, I brought Jonathan, but she really, really didn't seem to be interested in uh, interacting with him. He spent most of his time with yeah. uh, Cynthia and uh, Renee or whatever. And Wendy yeah. spent most of her time talking to me. Yeah. It's like... Uh, mm-hmm. The urge to, like, punch this guy in the face just, like, increases and increases throughout the segment. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. okay, here's the then the part I don't quite get is uh, Cynthia, Renee, and you know Wendy. They get back in the car, and then they were joined by both Ida and uh, Beverly. Which one was the mother, mm-hmm. and which one was the grandmother? I was perpetually confused on this point throughout the. The grandmother was Ida and the mother was Beverly. Okay, so Chad's mother was Beverly. All right. Mm-hmm. And we get, you know, uh, Wendy gives Leon a call like, hey, you know, okay, got, got done visiting Jonathan. Got uh, We got to get going now because Beverly's like in a hurry or something. Uh, and I think that's the last, unfortunately, that Leon hears from uh, Wendy. Um, mm-hmm. So, remind me again, which one was Chad's grandmother? Ida? Ida. Okay. So, Wendy and Beverly were getting in an argument, because Beverly was Mm -hmm. like, well, Jonathan needs to be spending time with us. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Chad's a good father, and, you know, a boy needs his father, and da-da-da, and... You know, you know, with your multiple sclerosis, you, you know, you got your own problems to be dealing with. And Right. You know, what's really interesting, though, is this re- reenactment is based entirely upon Chad's family's retelling of what had happened. <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> it's like they make them like in their own cover story. Uh, hint, hint as to where this is going. They make themselves mm-hmm. out to look kind of like jerks terrible yeah. yeah um maybe maybe it's because they're so just low class that they they're not yeah. even cognizant as how bad they're making themselves look out to be i think that's i think that's a lot of it yeah yeah so yeah so you know this this argument goes back and forth and allegedly ida was like look i can't handle you know riding a car like this so just drive me back and drop me off um mm-hmm. And then, so then, Beverly, she pulls up in front of the Walmart, dumps out uh, Wendy, Cynthia, and Renee, like, was mm-hmm. it 45 miles from where they live? Which just seems yeah. like a jerk move to me. I mean. Yeah. I mean, that would have been better if, as opposed to what really happened, if that is what had happened. Right, right. <laughs> I guess that's the point, <laughs> comparatively speaking. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and then Leon, you know, he he relates like th- like the thing that really, you know, I mean, it's all kind of fishy. But the thing that's so fishy for him is like that Wendy didn't try to call him from the Walmart. Right. Like, so- yeah, she absolutely would have gone inside and asked to use the phone or. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. None of this makes any sense. Yeah. Like yeah, like so. she would have called me like, hey, can you pick us up? Because the x y and z just happened right um 
No, instead they they disappear uh, apparently. They, we get we get some maps. We get, you know get discussion of timetables and you know all that jazz. But mm. I mean, basically, it, it boils down to you know like Wendy's mother is like and and is like yeah i think my in-laws murdered my daughter and and granddaughter yeah as well as leon's sister um Mm -hmm. and we get we get Uh interviews with where like beverly's uh you know know, chad and this disgusting family like i don't you know no 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 we, we didn't do anything and da, da, da. and they just all have like this <laughs> they all just seem so like obviously like they did it and mm-hmm. and i well beverly was not interviewed for the segment it was only ida oh right <laughs> right sorry I, right i have a lot of difficulty telling these two apart uh ida the the grandmother what tipped you know what tipped my hand was Ida kind of gave it away because she said mm-hmm. Bever- Beverly and I did not have nothing to do with their disappearances, which is a double mm-hmm. negative. So uh, mm. obviously it means they, mm. they did. Or, you know, she just could have not been speaking proper English. Anyway, you know, Chad, uh, you know, he's like, oh, I could never have done eh, something like that. And, I mean, he just has this look on his face that it's just like one. It feels like it's one step removed from that one guy at the beginning of the series that was like, yeah, ever since my wife disappeared, my life's been pretty good. Yeah, no, it was definitely like the audacity of being that guilty and then going on national television and thinking anyone's going to believe this shit. You know? Yeah. Um. The only thing is I'm surprised how long it took the authorities to actually get some charges that stuck with this family. Right. They so clearly were involved and did it. Um, I don't know that Chad was ever because Chad was firmly at home. Right. Yeah. When with uh, Jonathan, when all of this went down. So whether or not Chad. I mean, Chad did know about it because he went around town bragging and he admitted to bragging about it. He'd be like, oh, that's just something I'd say when I'm in a drunken stupor. <laughs> like, yeah, we all brag about killing our ex-wife and saying you'll never find the body when we're drunk, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's not a thing. So they didn't seem to pin anything on him. But uh, but yeah, the uh, the mother was most definitely involved. Beverly. Right. She She got, she ended up in prison. Uh, the guy she was married to, like they didn't, they didn't follow up tra- uh, charging him with it, because like as an accessory, because um, mm-hmm. they they found all three bodies inside their septic tank, which yeah, that's well, it was Beverly's brother, brother. not her yeah. husband. Oh, brother. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beverly's brother. Uh, they found the bodies in the septic tank on his property, mm-hmm. uh, which. And then uh, Ida, they also suspected, but she di- she just died pr- uh, uh, before, I guess, this revelation. It kind of seems like shouldn't searching the septic tank be like on an automatic to do list if you're looking for someone who's disappeared and you suspect someone might be yeah. a murderer. 
because it feels yeah, like we well, we found we, we we've had quite a few bodies turn up in septic tanks. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting though is those bodies were not recovered. It doesn't say this in the update, but it says this in the wiki. Those bodies. So this case aired in 1993. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, these pe- people, Beverly, Chad, and Ida, actually have a pretty long history of violent crime. Oh. As I'm looking at the wiki here, but uh, the timeline we're looking at here at least between when the episode aired because i don't have a time when the i guess it was 1992 when the murder occurred and when they found the bodies was 2013 yeah so that was 21 years that's a that's a big gap what the fuck were the cops doing like these people went on national television guilty as fuck anyone could see it anyone could see that and I'm not just saying that because of the update. I'm saying it like all the tells were there. Right. Like they really thought they were getting away with something. Um, but anyway, as an addendum to this, um, something, what was it? What, what is this? Something like in 1980. Okay. Uh, Chad Beverly and, oh, so this was in the wiki chad beverly and ida remain people of interest um yada 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 ida and her other daughter deborah previously were accused of killing deborah's husband john rousen he was found shot and stabbed to death in his car on june 12 1980 ida and deborah were charged with this murder in 1983 but the charges against him were later dropped well gee i wonder what happened to john holy you check any septic tanks there you know what i mean like come on now yeah yeah so it wasn't the first like these you know they're a murdering family this is like the devil's uh-huh. rejects only trash here yeah yeah man yep yeah i uh i just you know anyway and the and i think the only person that did need time was because of oh the reason that they found the bodies at all is because ida and beverly were later arrested and charged with arson and they allegedly committed the crime to collect insurance money. And in 2007, both were convicted and served time in prison. Um, so, and then it was like six years later, they found the bodies. So they just, you know, God really damn. just fucked up family situation that poor Wendy got involved with here. Yeah. Yeah. Woo. Oh, let's let's go to a uh, uh, sort of <laughs> lighter uh, drama in Oklahoma. Let's 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 go to somewhere where murders never happen, which is New York City. We meet forty-five-year-old uh, Dolores Brooks, um, who uh, relates to uh, us the story about when she was a young girl, and we have a nice little like. There's there's footage of her walking along down the street and they sort of uh, I'm not sure what the technical term is uh, transition to uh, footage of the arena actress playing like a young teenage version of herself mm-hmm. down the yeah. same street uh, only, you know, it's, oh, oh, 1960s Brooklyn. Uh, they described Dolores as being like this really shy girl originally from North Carolina uh, you know, she has this big culture shock coming to the big city and she's so overwhelmed by stuff because the buildings are so tall. And then she says that in North Carolina, people would come from miles around just to see a three story building. 
<laughs> I mean, I I believe it. <laughs> what what are you giggling for? I I don't know. I How just... many three-story buildings does Dayton, Nevada have? So, Dolores relates <laughs> to us. Um, you know, she's uh she you know, we have this sort of reenactment of her attending school. She's kind of like too shy to like walk past the kids who are like in front of the entrance. She's she kind of like the reenactress walks left to right, left to right, trying to find a way to walk in without interacting with people. And, you know, she's just really shy in the classroom. Uh, feels it's clear. She feels out of place. Uh, I like in the reenactment, like the kids are just throwing wads of paper and stuff at each other. Mm-hmm. Dolores gets p- pelted quite a quite a few times walking in. And then we get introduced to the person who changed her life. It's the mm-hmm. music teacher. Aww. We got we get a real like this is uh, Miss Strauss. So we got like. Mm-hmm. This is like a Miss Strauss's opus <laughs> type mm-hmm. situation. Um, she like Dolores relates like that. She looked like that. Uh, Miss Strauss looked like a, a real uptown girl. That's what she said. Yeah. Um, and so Miss Strauss, she she inspired Dolores to develop a, a love of music plays Mozart for in the classroom and kind of unclear but apparently she just decided to take Dolores under her wing she brought her to Mm -hmm. her like apartment which was apparently some penthouse on the top top of a skyscraper or something because Dolores relates like I mean not only is it spacious and and full of uh just fancy looking furniture and a piano but she she goes to the window and they're just like towering over the rest of new york city yeah they had a view of central park a view of central park i mean yeah i mean they we really used to pay our teachers (laughs) right i i truly shocked that like yeah it's just it is and just this amazing experience for Dolores. Uh, like Miss Strauss is taking her to live music recitals and stuff for like the next two mm-hmm. years, chamber concerts and all sorts of jazz. And she's even like letting her like dress up in like, expensive clothing and jewelry and, and, and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's kind of nice. But then, uh, what was it? Uh, when Dolores graduated, um, you know they mm-hmm. they they have like a little going, you know, parting farewell sort of thing. This is of course mm-hmm. before Facebook, because otherwise Dolores mm-hmm. could have just then like, you know, uh, added <laughs> added Miss Strauss to her Facebook friends list, as I have several teachers from my high school <laughs> now on mine. Um, and then, uh, Dolores, uh, she suffered, ended up suffering from something called Ray syndrome or something. 
Yeah, this isn't really explained what this is. Yeah, I don't know what, what what's I don't know what this is. I don't know what it is, except that it like involved her being in a coma. And then when she mm-hmm. woke up out of it, she had like some amnesia. Yeah. And then we have a reenactment of her walking down uh, the street after she, you know, has has woke up out of the coma, but she's now um uh you know uh she she can't remember everything and miss strauss stops her and is like oh dolores da, da, da. And, and she's like what and miss strauss uh, it kind of broke my heart a little bit she was like you don't remember yeah. me the music teacher i and dolores the re- girl playing dolores is like oh well i hope i was a good student <laughs> Mm-hmm. and i don't know i don't know about you but did he kind of feel like the way they had her had her dressed up in this particular bit of the segment was like they're trying to suggest that um you know she was now like a young adult uh mm-hmm. but to me it just looked like they dressed a little kid up in like grown-up clothing <laughs> <laughs> well they're not gonna hire two different actors for this <laughs> reenactment I mean that's totally fair, but I just I just said just I'm just saying it, it it stood out. Yeah. And apparently, like Dolores had several more run-ins with Miss Strauss like this. Yeah, I which I thought was I mean I guess if Miss Strauss was teaching in the neighborhood and Dolores still lived in the neighborhood, that's possible. Yeah. But you know, as we've established, the teacher uh, Miss Strauss is an uptown girl. Right. Right. It seems, you know. seems like she'd have, you know, um, you know, lots of other engagements and whatnot. Um, yeah, but also she probably wouldn't just be walking around the neighborhood <laughs> unless she was like coming or going from work. You know what I mean? Right, right. Those would be the only occasions which they, they would they would probably cross paths. Um, then we had, then we had like, I think like actual Dolores is playing her grown up self in the reenactment. Right. Yeah, when she's at her nurse job. When she's yeah, she's work, as an adult. Working, yeah, working as that's a, definitely her. It's just with different hair. They like put a wig on her. Yeah, they put, a, they put a wig on her. Um, and uh, she she's walking down the hall, and so randomly, like some doctor overhears her talk. He's like, "Hey, you went to so and so school?" And she's like, "Yeah." Oh, I went to that same school. You know what year? Yeah, yeah. No, I was there the same time you were. We were. I thought I recognized you were in the same music class with Miss Strauss. And like, mm. I feel like Dolores does a good job of portraying herself being like, what? That crazy woman who kept saying she was my music teacher actually was sort of face. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so Dolores, you know, she's just wanting to, you know, the the end of the segment she's just like hey i just want i just want to let her know that teacher know that she really had a positive effect on my life mm-hmm. and no update right you know what else there wasn't if i if i recall correctly i don't believe there were any like yearbook photos either from this year okay at the school you think someone would have stepped come and step forward maybe one of her classmates would have called in and said, oh, this is what happened to Miss Strauss if she passed. You know, someone would have known something. Well, yeah, that's a good point. Because we know what school she was teaching at. And she was apparently yeah, she was teaching at there. Yeah, junior high. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
yeah, you think someone there, uh, even even without Facebook, someone would be like, oh yeah, Miss Strauss, right? You know when? Yeah, Miss Strauss was really great, or something. Yeah, you know, in, in my you know my junior year, you know, she was like, oh, I'm going to be, uh, next year I won't be the music teacher here because I'm joining the whatever sympathy or right, you know, whatnot or. or and, you know, some clue that would allow them to trace, but not as such. Now, call me cynical. Oh, boy. I'm not sure Miss Strauss really existed. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, because there's no yearbook photos. We don't get any update. You, uh... You who went to do a, I think Dolores intentionally made this up for attention? No, I do not. But you're thinking that with the amnesia and the race syndrome mm-hmm. and all that stuff that yeah. she just like her brain. Yeah, brain... especially all the parts where she's like in the apartment and the apartment of a school teacher has a view of Central Park, even though this teacher teaches in Brooklyn at Decatur Junior High School. I mean, there's just no she just and she suddenly remembers this woman did did she have did she have a music teacher in junior high school possibly yeah did all this other stuff happen i don't know you know wow um i i appreciate how dark you're willing to go with that (laughs) that's that's wow though at the same time that does mean that yeah. I don't have to feel bad about Miss Strauss <laughs> being yeah. hurt that I like mean... this te- this student she poured like so much time and yeah. effort into her right. didn't remember. That's good. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll choose. I'll choose to, just to, to interpret that a that... lot that doesn't add up here. Yeah, logically. Yeah, why would why would a music teacher have the penthouse on the top floor of a building that overlooked Central Park? Right. Or why would she basically take one of her students around like to her house? Um, to you know, I think Dolores might have seen a movie or something, and then she had some kind of disease, and then she was in a coma, and then maybe all that stuff got jumbled up in her brain. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe there was a Miss Strauss who was a music teacher at that junior high school. Did all that other stuff happen? I don't know. So, if anyone out there uh, has seen a movie from, you know, like obviously this would have been back in the '60s or '70s, um, um, seen a really old movie from like 50 or 60 years ago about a music teacher that takes a shy withdrawn maybe disadvantaged girl under her wing and takes her to concerts and orchestra <laughs> recitals and mm-hmm. and stuff um please please write in and share the title of this movie i'm curious okay <laughs> well Krista. we're going to we're going to stay in new york for the last segment so in 1981, uh, Suya Kim and um, Su Young Kim, well, Su Ya was her maiden name, yeah. if that matters here. And Su Young Kim were married in Seoul, South Korea. Um, 
And uh, soon after that, they moved to the United States. Uh, what I thought was really interesting about this couple is that they were they worked at one of these like flea market situations. I don't really there's something like you can only it's not a big open air flea market market like you'd find at the old drive in movie theater. Is that too specific for people? There's like <laughs> these ongoing flea markets that are in big cities. We have yeah. them in LA. We have them in there's definitely those in New York where you just have like a stall and you sell like random shit. You know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, I I guess I don't really have the same flea market um uh, knowledge and experience that you do. I really haven't I guess what they're these like permanent little stalls that you can Right. You know. Yeah, it's not just like something you come and you do on the weekend. It's like so it doesn't really matter, but this is basically how Su Young and Su Ya um, created a business together. And um, they had two sons, you know, they ended up opening a store, like a brick, a regular brick and mortar store um, in Long Island, then another one in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And then uh, by 1991, they had that nice apartment in Queens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so life was going good. So one day, actually, June 29th, um, I don't know what year. Thank you for the wiki. <laughs> I think it was 91. Anyways, um, Suya uh, decided to, she was went off to go shopping. She drops her kids off with the grandma. Uh, later that night, um, after she had not returned home by about 8 p.m., which would have been extremely unusual for her, um, her husband went and found her car in their parking garage, but the engine was cold, so she hadn't driven it. So it kind of sounds like she hadn't um, made it to her car. Yeah, I, I was trying to figure that out. Like, okay, so the car was cold. It hadn't been driven, so yeah. she didn't make it to the car? Wow. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like whatever happened. I mean, okay, spoiler Su Young is called to the morgue the next day to identify his wife. And yeah. um, the only clue that they have, uh, she'd been stabbed. Um, she was found nude, but apparently there was no evidence of sexual assault. Um, police thought she was just a victim of random violence. Uh, so they were able to find a witness, though, and, a, and they actually interviewed this guy for Unsolved Mysteries. His name is Joe Jones. <laughs> Because his parents hated him, I guess. Him Jones. Um, Good old Joe, Joe Jones. Joe Jones uh, had been a security guard at this around this building. Um, around 3 a.m., uh, Joe Jones was walking the perimeter of the building he was securing, and he saw a man like a in the in the reenactment. This man looks very like sporty, very like tennis club. Like he'd just come from the gym or something. He was yeah, wearing he's, like he's got those athletic sh shorts and a mesh tank top, and he was covered in blood. It was very like American <laughs> Psycho esque yeah. situation. And Joe saw this guy like fucking around in the dumpster in the alley, and he's like, "Hey, you can't dump things here." And then the man says to Joe, "Well, what if I gave you twenty dollars?" And then Joe goes, "Okay." <laughs> I like how just, I mean, like, what are you gonna do? You know. I like how Joe just admits, like, to his 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 mild corruption, um, and and yeah, I like with no concern about whether his boss is gonna fire him. I guess 
I guess, I mean, you know, when, when you murder case happens, the boss is probably just sort of a bit distracted by that. So it's like, well, oh, okay. Something with $20 or whatever. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I like, no, I, I mean, I, I love Joe. I love Joe Jones for that. That he was yeah. just like, so I took the money. Um, so joe walks away for enough time for to let the man do whatever but then when the man is pulling i mean he got a really good look at this guy then when the man is leaving in his car to drive away joe's like that's not normal behavior actually (laughs) (laughs) someone digging through a dumpster at you know 3 a.m and Joe gets a partial plate and a description of the car, and he and he's actually the one that finds Suya's body in the dumpster. Um, the uh, the uh, Joe flags a car down, which happens to be an ambulance. Weirdly, that was just driving by. Right. And you know it was too late. You know she Suya had been dead for several hours at that point, but. Um, he did provide Joe provided to police the partial plate and then the description of the car. But that car belonged to a Taiwanese exchange student um, and who had not driven her car the previous night. Yeah. There's no evidence of blood in the car. Um, You know, the investigators have no reason to think she had anything to do with it. So that's the mystery, right? Right. Like, Joe oh. saw the guy. He saw the car for sure, right? Mm-hmm. But then they're coming up with nothing. The description, though, that Joe provides, there's like a little sketch that we get of Sue Yaw's killer. Looks yeah. exactly like James Spader in Stargate. Um, oh, my. Um, Crystal. <laughs> um. Yes. I know you'll believe me when I say this. Uh-huh. I I know that you'll believe me when I say this cuz Uh-huh. When um before we get before we got to the sketch when it was when when they when they had the reenactor playing the suspect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought he looked a lot like the guy who played the same character but in the Star- Stargate TV show. Yeah, definite Daniel Jackson vibes. Daniel Jackson, right? He's the killer. He's the killer. (laughs) Also, I'm just, okay, listen. I was watching this segment, and I was, the guy who plays the older son of Suya. Yeah. I was like, that dude looks a lot like Daniel Day Kim. Like, he is (laughs) brutally handsome. I, but there's no way, right? And then if I went in on our podcast and said that, and people would be like, oh, you think all Asians look alike? Well, well, guess what, motherfuckers? It was Daniel Day Kim. And I whoa, whoa, it. Whoa, whoa, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. No. Okay. Well, it's actually he didn't play her. He didn't play her older son. It's his. He played her uh, brother-in-law. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. No, it was him. <gasps> okay. So there you go. Because I was thinking that that was. It was him, right? Because it's yeah. like that guy looks just like him. He looks him. really familiar. He, that guy also, looks... he's like way too good looking to be in an unsolved mystery segment. Right, right. right. I mean, he, he looked, he looked, he looked really out of place in the front. Uh, yeah, compared to everyone in this episode, just like I mean, right. It looked like an actual Hollywood actor was. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> you mean it really is him? Because I was. Yeah. 
that was something else that was in my head where I was like, should I mention that I thought that, but then I, I was kind of concerned that it'd be like, oh, there's Robbie, you know, all Asian people look the same. Yeah, Damn. well, it, no, it, it was him. And I'm just learning this now looking at the wiki, but I was like, damn, that really looks like Daniel Day Kim, but I'm like, I don't want to get on my podcast and say nothing. Oh. And then people be like, well, you think, oh, no, I don't. And actually, I'm just really good at recognizing people. So yeah, that's what. yeah, uh, well, I, yeah. Gosh, man, mind hell blown. Of, hell this... of a, yeah, hell of a banger last segment on unsolved mysteries. Here it was a quick oh. one too, but uh, it yeah. yeah that... So there's but there's no update though, um, yeah, other that... than um, uh, uh, Su Young, uh, two years later, ends up returning to Korea because he was just hella bummed out about his wife being murdered which was understandable he right. was just like i can't do this anymore he closed up the store and went back to korea yeah you know if if, if like the all the little signs that say you know closed or not you know out of going out of business or whatever mm-hmm. they they um they they kind of had this ominous look to them right yeah 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 Oh my God! It was, it was Daniel Day. Kim. It was him. Oh it was my God! Daniel Day Kim. I, wow. Uh, man. Oh. Whoa. Are you gonna be okay? I sounds like you're crying a little bit over there. <laughs> Only tears of joy. Only tears of joy. Oh. Uh, hey, Robbie. This has been a hell of an episode but we i think we probably should put a pin in this one and we, you know? we can talk we could we can talk about daniel day kim at some other point yeah, yeah. so and if you want to share your favorite daniel day kim <laughs> moments uh hop on over to our uh twitter reenacted pod mm-hmm. or send us a email at reenactedpod at gmail.com uh, mm-hmm. Facebook, you got a reenacted fan, podcast fans uh, page, and mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, uh, we got a Patreon. You know, if you if you subscribe at the one dollar tier, you're just you're helping us out, and we appreciate it. If you mm-hmm. subscribe to the five dollar tier, there's some access to some some special material, and mm-hmm. I'm. I mailed out a I mailed out some parcels. Uh, yeah, the people week. I just checked Twitter. The some of the people have received the parcels. Ooh, excellent! And I'm very excited about them. Yeah, so. I, I I assume I assume it will take a while for it to reach Purple War down in yeah. Australia. Right, <laughs> but uh, it'll get. I'm sure it'll get to you soon. Wow. Yeah, it just might take a couple more months, but it'll get there. Yeah. Uh hey Robbie, do you want to do the thing? Um Okay, I mm-hmm. guess I guess I guess we'll, we'll we'll talk about Daniel Day Kim Yeah. Uh, later. Okay. Next 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 episode. We'll All pick right. it up. Join me next time for this lively tour of the spirit world and much more on unsolved mysteries. <laughs> <laughs>